Hello, and welcome to the August issue edition of the Lancet HIV podcast. Today, I am talking to Francis Cowan, who is Professor of Global Health, Department of International Public Health at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine in the UK. Francis is an author on the reports of the SAFIRE trial, which has been published in the August issue of the Lancet HIV. Hi there, Francis. Hi there. So, the SAFIRE trial assesses combination prevention approaches for sex workers in Zimbabwe. Our readers will know that sex workers are a key population, but perhaps you could tell us a little bit about uh, sex workers in Zimbabwe specifically, their status in society and their place in the HIV epidemic in the country. Yeah, so just briefly to say, I'm sure everybody is aware that Zimbabwe is a, a country of about 13 million people in southern Africa and home to about 8% of all the people in the world living with HIV. The adult prevalence of HIV is about 15%, uh, but sex workers really do bear the brunt of the epidemic. They have a prevalence of around 60%. Solicitation is illegal in Zimbabwe, which makes life uh, difficult, and sex workers are highly stigmatized by all sectors of society. We've estimated the size of the population of sex workers in the country, Obviously, it depends on how you define um, sex workers. What is a sex worker is quite heterogeneous. Uh, but we estimate about 1.2% of all adult women are working as sex work. Women enter sex work for a variety of reasons, um, but primarily as a result of financial shocks. And for young women and girls, this is uh, largely as a result of orphaning, uh, whereas for old women, it's divorce or being widowed. Women largely work independently and have very high rates of uh, HIV incidence. Incidence appears to be higher in younger women uh, when it looks to be around 6 to 10%. Right, okay, so that's really quite a substantial problem for this population in Zimbabwe then. Yeah. So what were the goals of the SAFIRE study? The overall goal was to reduce the prevalence of sex workers who had a detectable viral load. And that was in order to, A, improve their health and well-being, but also to um, minimise the risk of transmissions associated with sex work. So we had three main approaches to trying to achieve that. So firstly, um, sex workers were very involved in designing the intervention and approach. Um, we had a huge community mobilization and empowerment component to try and get sex workers really involved and behind this intervention. And we provided improved and more easy access to uh, antiretroviral treatment for women who were positive. And we provided pre-exposure prophylaxis, the only place it was available in the country actually, um, for women who were negative. I think really importantly, uh, the intervention aimed to be status neutral. So nobody had to say to anyone else whether they were positive or negative. Uh, just everybody was tested and eligible for treatment of one kind or another. And that's really important, isn't it? Because in these sorts of studies, participation has previously sort of can lead to identification of people as being HIV infected or even sort of misinterpretation of their participation in the trial means that they they have HIV. So I guess that sort of status neutral yeah. approach is, is very key to getting people engaged. 
Yeah, and I think it's not just for the trial, to be honest, but it's also for the intervention. You know, sex workers are self-employed businesswomen, and um, they are quite ruthless in the techniques that they use to get clients over each other. And one of the techniques they often use is to out somebody's status in front of a client. So they're very protective of their status. And um, if they felt that attending the program would reveal what that was, they would have been much less comfortable attending. I guess that's sort of quite a holistic approach in the trial of sort of wrapped up diagnosis, prevention and treatment. What would you say were the key findings of the trial? So because the intervention was community-based, we used a cluster randomised approach and we randomised sisters' clinics. We have a sex work, nationally scaled sex work programme running in Zimbabwe, which is uh, based in 36 sites around the country, um, led by the Ministry of Health and National AIDS Council. And that's a sisters' programme. And it was nested within that. Uh, we selected uh, 14 sites that were well separated and um, matched them according to the type of site and the population that they were. So, for example, we matched highway sites or towns. We matched district capitals. We matched collieries and army bases, for mm-hmm. example. And those were allocated to either the standard sex worker program intervention or the more intensified intervention I've just mentioned. And then the other thing that's slightly unusual about this trial is that because sex workers are a hidden population and we don't have a sampling frame, I think it's one of very few trials where we recruited the sample for the impact evaluation using respondent-driven sampling. So we conducted a baseline survey in all 14 sites using respondent-driven sampling and then again at endline in 14 sites after 21 months of intervention implementation. So what would you say were the key findings of the trial? I think the first thing to say is that there was an increase in uptake of services in the more intensified SAFAR intervention arm. We saw around a third more women And we tested twice as many women for HIV and diagnosed twice as many new positives. So that was very positive impact. We newly initiated about 900 women on ART and started about 500 women on PrEP. So all those process program indicators were very positive. But despite that, we didn't find an impact on our primary outcome. So the proportion of women with a detectable viral load in the usual care arm fell from 30% overall to 19% at end line. Uh, And in the SAFAR trial arm, it fell a bit more, but the difference was not statistically significant, so from 30 to 16%. There were improvements in the cascade indicators in both arms, and these weren't different by arm. One thing that is worth pointing out is that the proportion of all HIV positive women in the sister's arm who had a detectable viral load was 68% and in the intensified sapphire arm was 72%. As I'm sure everybody is aware, their goal for UNAID 90-90-90 is 73%. So in the intensified sapphire arm, we almost met that target. I guess you were expecting to see a bigger difference between the sapphire arm and the sister's arm. 
can you sort of perhaps uh, speculate on why maybe you didn't see such a difference? I think there are probably um, three reasons. I think Zimbabwe has a good national ART program and was scaling that up and were very quick to adopt the revised WHO treatment guidelines. So I think that this was set on the background of improving and strengthening ART services in Zimbabwe. I think um, the second reason is that what we were providing in the usual care arm was actually quite intensive by most standards. And then we really had quite short follow-up to see a difference. So we only followed people for 21 months. Ideally, we'd have liked to have had more sites. We always knew we were just on the cusp of having power to show a difference. But because of the restriction to widely separate sites, we didn't see it or we could increase the number. So I think I think we were on the cusp of power and it was set in the background of really quite strong services within Zimbabwe, both for sex workers specifically and the general population. But I guess nonetheless, you did see some impressive, as you said, sort of impressive findings in terms of those cascade indicators. How sustainable do you think that uh, the SISTERS intervention or the SAFIRE intervention, the even more intense one, are both in terms of scale-up and retaining people in prevention programmes and HIV care? So I think it is sustainable. In fact, you know, the SAFIRE intervention, despite not showing a huge impact in terms of the population impact, is basically being um, scaled up now in all the 36 sites. So we've adopted many of the pieces from that around the country. And I mean, sustainability is basically about political will and funding. I don't think there's any other reason why it wouldn't be sustainable. And there is, at the moment, there is an increasing recognition about the importance of uh, properly including key populations in our epidemic response, which was lacking for large part, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa for much of the 2000s. And just to say, I think it is really critical that we do find the political will and resources to sustain it. Female sex workers are possibly the most important population to engage effectively in terms of the HIV response. We predict from modelling studies that have been done across the continent, if we could eliminate HIV transmission as a result of commercial sex, the knock effect of that both for the women themselves, but also in terms of the direct and indirect infections created further down the line, would be substantial. Our preliminary modelling from Zimbabwe suggests that up to 80% of new infections over the next 20 years could be averted because of that. And in West Africa, similar figures have been found by other groups. So I think it is imperative that we do find a way to include those who are at highest risk in the response, both for their own sake and for everybody else's. And then I guess, obviously, working with key populations is not always easy, as you say. They're often marginalised, they're hidden populations. What are the challenges in setting up a study such as SAFIRE? And how did the participants engage with the research? As people who know who work with um, key populations regularly, the most important thing is to involve sex workers from the start. And we nested this within the existing program, which had been hand-in-hand with sex workers, really. And so 
we were lucky when we started the trial that we already had substantial trust and people felt we had their best interests at heart. They didn't feel we were just asking a research question for the sake of it, but they felt we were doing that in order to benefit the sex work community more generally. So I think that that is the, that is the first thing. I mean, I think the second thing is always with a very stigmatised population. It's difficult for people to get behind, particularly people in official positions, to get behind the trial. And we were very fortunate that the Ministry of Health in Zimbabwe is so um, progressive and forward-thinking and really committed to strong prevention responses. And many of the ministry were directly involved in the trial and helped us um, to ease that through. So I think that those things really helped. I think always with this sort of complex intervention that's going to scale, there's that balance between um, having an intervention that's seen as sustainable and having an intervention that's most likely to be effective. And there are things we would like to have been able to do, like have viral load-supported ART in the SAFIRE arm um, and have more community uh, mobilizers, peer educators, to really help with the support. But it was felt that those things were potentially putting it beyond the reach of a sustainable program and so those weren't included. Having said that, things have changed now, obviously, and viral load, you know, that we set this up in 2013, but viral load is now being expanded out across sub-Saharan Africa for everyone who's on ART. So it's always difficult to do research where you're appearing to provide better services for sex workers than the general population, because that... Um, politicians and the general population find, and healthcare workers who don't work with them find very hard to stomach. It's really interesting and sort of also that the change in situation with viral load monitoring and how that sort of can impact the trial as the trial is being conducted. It's always a problem. You design a trial five years ahead of when the results are going to be published and, and things can change a lot in that time, yeah. can't they? I mean, that's what implementation research is all about, yeah. isn't it? Responding to the environment we're in, but it often makes it difficult to come up with a nice, shiny p-value and yeah. <laughs> effect. So then just finally, as a result of, of your work and your experience, what do you think are the major key questions that remain unanswered in terms of providing all-round HIV prevention and care for sex workers in Zimbabwe? We were really excited by the effects we did have, even though they weren't as great as we would have liked and in fact we had as good an effect as we'd designed our trial to have it's just we had that effect in the control arm as well i think we're committed to the goal that we set out to achieve in sapphire is to try and find an intervention that will virtually eliminate um, hiv transmission through commercial sex in a way that is supportive and empowering of sex workers. And I, I think it's within our grasp if we uh, can intensify programs sufficiently to do that. And it's really about the will to do it, I think. Um, but that's what we would like to do is a Sapphire Mark II where we have a more intensified intervention than the one we have because we do feel we made substantial gains and we feel the prize of 
actually um, really engaging positive women with the cascade effectively and ensuring that negative women remain negative, that would be such a, an amazing uh, outcome for the women themselves and for public health more generally. So we're looking, I mean, to put it a bit more succinctly, a kind of more targeted risk differentiated support for women to engage with art and prep. And again, space is neutral in the way that we've done for Sapphire. Well, thank you very much for talking to us today, Francis. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Very interesting to hear about your research and we look forward to following the developments.